faithfulness over us. This is coming from a spirit which is very exciting because he gives us the unction to declare his faithfulness again. It just means he's thinking about it. He's not forgotten. He doesn't forget what we're standing for. He sees us. He sees our faith. Day after day, week after week, month after month, standing even when we feel weak or tired. Um, And like, man, I'm not doing a real good job uh, believing. And uh, uh, I think it's one of uh, a song that came out of the House of Prayer in Kansas City that says, even our weakest glance toward him, it just moves his heart. It moves him. Even when we feel like it's nothing, you know, like I'm sure we've all been through seasons, maybe some in a season right now where it feels like, man, my look right now is weak. And he's just like, I love you. Oh, how it moves me. Even the smallest little ounce of faith where I say, oh, it's so hard, Lord, but I'm, I'm believing. I'm believing. I'm shaking and I'm believing. You know, that type of faith. I just want to reiterate that that moves God's heart more than we could ever even understand. You know, we think like, oh, it's nothing. You know, it's the, those are the lies of the enemy that just try to get us to give up. Say it's not even worth it. It is because it moves his heart deeply. That's the love of the Father towards us. That's who our God is. That's who our King is. And how amazing, how amazing that that's who he is. Incredible. Thank you, God, for being so good. Thank you, God. We just thank you. I just want to thank you for a moment. Thank you, Father. Oh, just thank him from your heart. Thank you, God. Thank you for being so good. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you have declared strength and weakness over us. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Faithful, mighty, merciful God. Friend, Father, brother. We love you. We love you, Lord. So good. He's, he's edifying us. That was the word in my, my heart this morning was edification, that he wanted to edify us as the body, which is incredible. I mean, think about it, just even your own your own body. We, we like to give nourishment to our own bodies, right? We like to eat, to drink, and we feel strengthened by it. We are his body. He's the head. He gives us nourishment to be strong in him. And it flows down from the head. It's his intention toward us. He's good. He's so good. His intentions towards us are so good. Hmm. Man, my message has nothing to do with this. And so I'm wrestling (laughs) with that. Oh, Jesus. I can't say it has nothing to do with it. it. It does, but it'd be a long shot to connect it. <laughs> and I probably could. <laughs> Not that it has to connect it. Gosh, I'm, I'm verbal processing up here. I'm so glad we are a family. And that you all, most, most, I mean, we do have a visitor. It's like, 
Lord Jesus, <laughs> help her as she sees me. Oh, Lord. I'm going to talk about this. We're going to just get started in it and see where the Lord goes. But this is, um, I've been struck by Philippians 2 recently. Um, unity and faith for the progress of the gospel. And I have a lot about this right now um, in my heart and for this passage. So I'm not going to rush through. We're just going to take it slow and really take some time. And so if it has to be spread out over a couple of weeks, that's fine. Uh, don't worry, I'm not going to keep us all here forever. I just, I don't want to rush through this because I, I do believe it's important. I believe it's something the Lord's speaking for us as a body as he unites us in love for one another and in faith. And we've been talking about this for weeks and weeks and weeks. It's been a theme by the Holy Spirit. Love for one another, love in the body that comes from God. I mean, it, we can't say we love God if we don't have love for one another. It's just, it's not real. Our, our love for God is not real if it's not manifest here, you know, with one another. And, you know, the love for, that we have for one another only strengthens and deepens in conflict. I mean, it, it's true. If I don't go through conflict with you, if you don't go through it with me, I mean, how will we know if we'll be able to stand, right? It's like marriage. Before you're married, it's so good. <laughs> it's so good afterwards, too. But I'm saying it's before you're married, you're, you're going through things, but it's different. It's different. You get married, and then you're there. And you're like, we are here. We're doing this thing. And there's no outs. We've made covenant before God. Where God's joined together, let no man separate. We're in this. And then you, you, I mean, we all know it. You wrestle with things. We, you butt heads. There's, oh, the tensions. And your love is growing as you go through it. Beautifully. Your love is growing. And where our hearts aren't hardening. Because that can happen too, right? Your hearts can harden. In a church context, you can just leave and find another family, right? <laughs> See you later, it's too hard, right? Or we can say, no, I'm gonna stick it through when I misunderstand you and you misunderstand me and we have to wrestle through that misunderstanding or when we hurt one another because that happens in the body, right? And we say, you know what? Love covers a multitude of sins. That's not easy. That's not easy. And I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about a, a, a church community that's in sin and, and God's telling you to stay in the midst of that. I'm saying a, a, just a, a, a normal Christian family, faith, that there's wrestle in it. And what we've gotten so used to because it's so easy to is like, let's just hop ship there's a church down the road, right? I can just go to the church down the road or the town over. If I really want to move, I can move, right? And, then, and we can do that because it's, it's the body. It's, there's many local families. But we'll miss out on something very awesome in God, which is called genuine love for my brethren that only is obtained when we stay and go deep when we weather storms together in God, right? And our love deepens for one another. 
And then we come out on the other side after wrestling through that and say, oh man, I'm so glad I'm in this boat with you. Man, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful for your friendship. I'm so thankful that you stuck it out. I'm so thankful I stuck it out, right? Because we all have opportunity to leave at any moment when things get tough. And when we choose to stay, there's something that strengthens inside of us. That's what the Bible says in James, right? It says our perseverance develops proven character. Perseverance is sticking the course, right? Your endurance to stay, to remain, to keep going forward. It develops something inside of us that's worth more than, than jewels or treasures. It's gold refined in the fire that's going to be just lasting into eternity. It's eternal. It's of eternal worth because it's of the Spirit. And we only can get that when we stay and wrestle. You know, I haven't, I've been through conflict with some in the body here, but not everyone, not that I desire it. It's not fun, right? I don't desire it. It's, it's ugh. But I've been through it with some and it's strengthened. It strengthened the relationship, the understanding, the love. So we've got to go through it. You and I, we've got to go through it. We will, as long as we stay, as long as we remain. And there's this unity of the faith. This letter in Philippians, I'm going to be in Philippians 2 for the next probably couple of weeks at this rate, because I just talked for 10 minutes and we're not even started. <laughs> I have three pages here. So I'll break it up. This was a letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. And I, I want to give some context here this morning. And I'm learning a lot about this in school. And I'm, it's becoming more and more valuable. I can see the value in it that we have to understand the scriptures in context. It's incredible how important this is. Because... We believe that God is ultimately the author, right? Every writer of this book was inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit, by God, to write this. So he's the ultimate author. But there were actual authors that wrote letters with intention and purpose, right? And, and so often in our Christianity, we just take a verse and say, what this means for me right now. Take it completely out, like... Um, he is faithful to complete the work that he began, right? That's in this book. He's faithful to complete the work that he began. That's a great verse, right? But I could take that just individually and say, in my life, he's faithful to complete the work. Well, what's the work? And what's the completion? Right? We, we don't usually get that. For, we just throw out kind of like, awesome verses. That's an awesome verse, but there's a context. There was something that God was communicating through Paul to the church that was intentional. And for them to latch hold of that would edify them. We've got to understand that. I mean, that's why I, I want to talk about this because so much of the church today, we have error. Serious error. I can't even say they're, I don't know. I'll leave that to, to God. There's serious error in 
the global church today like homosexuality in the church and saying this is accepted, using scripture to defend it. They're not just using external experiences. There are books out there, I read one, called God and the Gay Christian by Matthew Vines. And he is convinced in scripture, he, he, he addresses every single scripture in his book to defend monogamous, monogamous mutual marriages, homosexual marriages. And so many Christians, by reading his book, are turning their opinion because they see in the scripture. We haven't learned to look at the scripture rightly. If you didn't know, you would read his book. I'm telling you, he did a great job. It's not like flimsy. That's why so many people, why do you think many believers are changing their mind on the topic? They're using scripture. They're creating a defense. So much of it's taken out of context. It's not, it's not done in a well way where they're thinking about what the author intended in context. But because we don't do that, there's error in the church. I mean, think about it. I'm going to give an example. If I were to write a paragraph or a letter, and there's a paragraph within that letter, and one of the sentences of that letter says, I went to the bank today. But you only read that sentence. You didn't read anything else. You just read, I went to the bank today. What would you immediately think I meant? What's the bank? Money. So you think I went to the bank. Is that what everyone thought when I said I went to the bank today? Okay. Well, what if, so if I'm talking in the, if you read the rest of the paragraph and I'm talking about savings and interest and money, yeah, okay, that makes sense. You went to the bank. What if I'm talking about swimming and water and fishing? in the rest of the letter, or in the paragraph. Was I going to the money bank? No, I was going to the bank, stream, the bank of the water. If I just read that one sentence, I could grossly misunderstood what's being said, right? No idea. You think I'm going to the bank? Well, I'm going to the water. I'm going to the bank today, bring your swimsuit. Wait, what? That makes zero sense. <laughs> You wouldn't even understand that you or I, or another example would be if I had said to you, you can't trust him, right? You can't trust him. This phrase could have many interpretations in context. It depends on the context. Because it could be, you can't trust him, run away quickly. Like get away as fast as you can from this person. You can't trust him. They're bad, right, in context. Or it could mean, the rest of it could be, you can't trust him, he needs more discipleship. Which means, get close, draw near, help him out, right? Two totally different situations that that phrase could mean something totally different. This is, these are just a couple of examples of why it's so important that we understand in the greater context, what's being said, why it's being written, so that then we can apply it rightly to our lives and to the family. They intended to convey a message. So Paul's letter to the church, going back, Paul's letter to the church, his intention for writing them, you read the whole book, you'll clearly see this, 
was to encourage the church corporate in their one-minded participation in the progress of the gospel, both in partnership with Paul and the Holy Spirit, and that they would stand firm in their faith, living worthy of the calling for which they had been called, knowing that God would perfect the work he began in them until the day of Christ. And how he did this, in chapters 1 and 4, he does this by affirming and encouraging their continued participation in the spreading of the gospel. Financially, we're all chapter 4 is all about finances and sowing in. Prayerfully, practically, relationally. He did this by encouraging their one-mindedness and exhorting them to follow Christ's example of humility in a living a life worthy of the calling. This is what we're going to talk about today. Serving with growing love for one another. That's Philippians 2. And then by warning them of those who would attempt to divide and disrupt the work, as well as war warning against underlying pride that would divide and disrupt the work. Chapter 3. That was his intention. That's what he was communicating to this body of believers. And we're going to be looking at chapter 2 because chapter 2 is actually the turning point of the letter. And I found this out just this past week, and this is so cool. Chapter 2 is actually a poem in, in Greek. Paul uses this, this form of poetry, this literary design called a... I don't even... You know, I should have looked up how to pronounce this word. It looks like chiasm, C-H-I-A-S-M. Chiasm, chiasm. Not chasm, because it has an I. C-H-I-A-S-M. Chiasm, chiasm. <laughs> Could be a lot of things. Chism. <laughs> anyway, it's a, it's a literary device used in biblical poetry that uses repetition to highlight the writer's main idea. So that's cool. When we find out that this is poetry, we can find out what his main idea was in chapter 2. How cool is that? English does not give us that, right? I would have never known that unless I took a little closer look. So what a chiasm is, I know I'm getting into like a little bit of teacher thing here, but what it looks like is it goes, it's like a, a V like that, right? Well, that's like a sideways V. <laughs> it goes A, B, C, okay, A, B, C, D is the point, and that's the main point that he's trying to make, and it goes C2, B2, A2, all right? So it has this thing, A, B, C, D is the main point, and then goes backwards, C, T, C2, B2, A2. And what this is, it's in, let's look at verses six through 11. A of that model. A. Though he was in the form of God. Actually, pause. I'm sorry. I went too fast. I, I want to get back to something before I get to this. Because this is a really important part. So that's central to Paul's letter. We know that verses 6 or 11 are going to be the centerpiece of his letter. So he leads into this, verses 1 through 4. And he says... Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection or compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, the same love, united in spirit, and intent on one purpose. 
Of the same mind and intent on one purpose literally means to be agreed together, to cherish the same views and be harmonious. To cherish the same views, that we would be one-minded, so linked together, intent on one purpose, united in the spirit. And then it goes on, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. So his whole letter is talking about being united for the purpose of the gospel, right? That's the point. Not just for no reason. It's united for the purpose of the gospel going out. This is evangelism. <laughs> He's like, this is evangelism 101. To preach the gospel, love one another. To preach the gospel, be united in purpose. Don't be selfish. Be humble toward one another. Seek to put another above yourself. I mean, we could spend the rest of our lives aiming for that, right? To put another above myself. To think of someone else's interests before I think of my own. We're all aiming in that direction. And he says, this is for the, the gospel to spread. That's the intent. And, this, and he goes on, it's not just for no reason, but Jesus, the Son of God, was our perfect example in this. So if we didn't think that was reason enough, if we didn't think that the spread of the gospel and the kingdom was enough, well, something even greater than that is here, which is Jesus, the love of our lives, right? The worthy one, the one we're all here for, right? Is that not true? I'm not here for any other reason than Jesus and my love for him. Because I've given my life to the worthy one. He's worthy. So if it's, if it's not enough yet, just that I love you, it should be enough because of my love for Jesus. Right? Should be enough. He is the worthy one. And it says, so Paul brings it. He's given them the punch. Right? Have the same attitude that was in Jesus. And this is where that poem comes. In verse 6, it says, Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. That's A. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So Jesus' glory as God. That's what that's conveying. Jesus' glory as God. He is God. He was in the form of God, but he didn't consider it something to be grasped. He, and then B, Jesus, uh, B, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. So Jesus' service towards others is B. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. C, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Jesus' humility. So that's ABC. Jesus' glory as God. He is God. Verse 7, Jesus' service towards others. And, 
And seven into eight, Jesus' humility. Now we get to the big point, D. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This is the central idea of this poem and Paul's entire letter, Jesus' death. We're going to talk about that in a moment. Then it goes to C2. Therefore God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Jesus' exaltation. Okay, did you notice? I had to see it on paper. I should have put it on the screen. A is Jesus' glorious God. Oh, I haven't gone that far. Jeez, I'm so bad at this. C is Jesus' humility, being born in the likeness of men. C2 that we just said was Jesus' exaltation. Humility, exaltation. Okay? Next verse. All humanity bows to Jesus, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's B2. And then A2. And every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's the poem. The centerpiece being the death. The, if you look at A, B, and C, it's Jesus' glory as God, his service to others, and his humility. Right? He's going low, 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 low. Death is the center part, piece. And then C2, B2, A2. Jesus' exaltation, all humanity bows to Jesus, and Jesus gives the glory back to God. The point here, the key idea here, for us to love one another and be in service to one another and thinking of one another is we have to die to ourselves. That was the main, that was the turning point of everything. That was Paul's main idea. Jesus died. He went to the lowest place you could go, no lower. He gave up his life. This is the love of our lives. This is the worthy one. This is the Lamb of God seated on the throne. He did not love his life even to the point of death for us, for others. And Paul is saying, this is the example to be followed, to produce unity in the body for the progress of the gospel. Unity in the church, unity in the faith, is that we would go the same way that Christ has gone. Are we not following him? Who are we following? Who's Example, am I following? I'm following Christ. I know everyone in this room would say, I'm following Christ's example. I know it. I know you would say it. And I say it too. We're following Christ and his example. This is his example. Humility, lowliness, service to others to the point of death where he gave up every last ounce to demonstrate his love for all of humanity. And he's calling us into this partnership with him. He says, come 
with me. Be my disciple. And Paul got it so much that he said, follow me as I follow Christ. In chapter 3, Paul says, and even I, I have so much I could boast of. But I count it all as rubbish. It means nothing to me. He's saying, he's, he's just saying, I'm following Jesus. You heard how Jesus was? Well, I'm doing the same thing. And I have a ton to boast about. You think you could boast? I have more. Paul was an exceptional human being as far as natural things went. He was studied. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was honored and elevated in the day that he lived in. And he said, I gave it all up. Because Jesus gave it all up. And he's the one I'm living for. And it's for your sakes. He says, Paul says, I'm giving my life as a drink offering to be poured out every last drop so that Christ may be formed in you. In the church. In the believers. In the body. He's saying, I followed Jesus' example, and it resulted in me pouring my life out unto death. He said, I'm, I'm, it's better for me that I live. To live is Christ, to die is gain, right? He's like, I'd rather die. I don't want to go to heaven because it's hard. But to live is Christ. It's to live is Christ. Going lower in service, in humility, in love for one another. Thinking of another's interest before I think of my own interests. Putting another before myself. That is the way of the kingdom. We can't get around it. I shouldn't want to. The reason why sometimes we avoid it is because of the lies we're believing. The lies of the enemy. Because it's in going lower that we meet with him. We get to know him more. There should be nothing in me, in the new man, in this new creation that opposes going low, low, lower. If I'm secure, if you're secure, if we are secure in the love of God, just as Jesus was, right? He was secure in the love of the Father. Nothing could take his identity away. Nothing could take, make him feel less than he was. Because of that, he went lower still. Because of his security and the love of the Father. He didn't say, I need to have a name for myself. Or I need to be extolled by people. I need to be honored. In fact, he was rejected by man and he came under accusation. People accused the, the perfect one. We're not even close to perfect. Do you think we'll escape accusation as we follow him in this way? No. <laughs> they accused him. They judged him. They rejected him. And he says, they're going to do it to you all the more if you're my disciples. And yet we go lower all the more. And I say, I will be found with you, Lord. Because you're the worthy one. What you say goes for me. So anything found in my heart or my mind that is after anything other than this 
crucify it with you, Jesus, on the cross. I don't want it. I want to seek the benefit of the body before I do myself. I want to put the interests of my brethren before myself. That's the command, and that's the example. We can't get around it. And why would we? This is life-giving truth. It says that God opposes the proud, but what does he give to the lowly, the humble? Grace. This is the way of life. It's the way of the kingdom. Sometimes those lies that the enemy hurls at us cause us to want to run in the opposite direction and say, if I go there, though, then I don't know. I don't even know what the worst case scenario is. I don't think we do. <laughs> what would be the worst case scenario? I don't even know. What is there to gain? What is there to lose, right? There's just this like intangible fear of being humble, of going lowly, of putting someone's interests, this fear of maybe being abused or used or manipulated, right? I mean, those are real fears. For some reason, Jesus didn't have those fears. He said, I give it up for the body because he was aiming for something higher. This was for the gospel. It was not for no reason. It was for souls to be saved. Salvation. And this must be our, our focus as well. We, we've got to go in this direction. This is the main point. Christ, our example, the lowly one, the humble one, the one in service to his brothers, and he's, he's the highest one, right? I don't even come close to him. None of us do. He's glorious, majestic, perfect, holy. And he did it. He did it. He said, this is my example. I'm doing it first to show you that I'm not just telling you to do it and not doing it myself. That's a good teacher, right? That's a good leader. I'm not just instructing you. In fact, I'm going to show you in my life how many of us, and this is my own question for me, how many of us are, are living in this way that says, unto death. And that's extreme. But that was the whole point. To the lowest of the lowest of the lows. And not, not begrudgingly. Not like, woe is me. Not false humility. Right? But true humility that knows our value in God. Knows we are loved by the Father. Accepted. Treasured. Remove his heart. Knowing that, and because of that knowledge, that's the only way you or I are going to go low, is revelation of his love towards us. And if there's anything in us that pushes back or, or has fear, the love of God is the thing that addresses that, right? Perfect love casts out all fear. The love of the Father is going to 
discharge fear from our lives. So let him love you. If there's, if there's a place of fear that says, I, I don't want to go low because I have fear, let the love of God wash you. Wash your mind. Wash my heart. Wash me. So that I can truly, in sincerity, say, I value you as more important than myself. I value you as a sister as more important than myself. I'm going to seek your interests before my own. That's where there's power. <laughs> That's where there's authority. Misty Edwards has a song that says, it's the inside, outside, upside down kingdom where you lose to gain, where you die to live. It's a really like poppy song. So you just sing it around like, see inside, outside, upside down kingdom, where you lose to gain, you die to live. And then you think about the lyrics and you're just like, you know what that means though? <laughs> where you lose your life to gain it. That means giving up everything to gain it, right? And we're all like, <laughs> Where you die to live. If that is the kingdom. And we'll experience the grace and the life and the goodness of God on the other side of that. More intensely than you ever have in your own life, than I've ever had in my life. The, more, the lower we go, the more we'll experience his goodness and his grace and his life flow in us. It's a good journey. It's a good journey. So I just want to encourage you, we're going to keep going in this because there's, there's a lot more. This is just, I just hit on the main point. We're going to dig into some more of this in the, in the next couple of weeks. What it looks like to love one another, to serve one another, and to think of one another before I think of myself more highly than I think of myself. To have right estimation of me and of you. It's very important. And I believe that God's touching on it in us because salvation's coming. This is for the progress of the gospel. And I want to hit on that just as I end here. We, can, we all are going out and evangelizing, right, in our families, in our workplaces, wherever we go. That's where your witness is, right? We're just, like, wherever we go, we're being a witness. We're being sent ones. We are sent ones out to just preach the gospel. But this is really key to keep in mind is I'm not separate from you and you're not separate from me. This call is for us together as the body to love serve, be united with one another, and that is what will progress the gospel. There will be an expansion of the kingdom like we've never seen before, like the first century church. Multiplication as we grow in love for one another. It is the Christ way. It is for the gospel. That is the whole purpose. We'll dig into that more. So, Jesus.